0: scripture this morning comes from 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The Word of God.
1: As many of you know, uh, I have small children at home, and part of what goes uh, kind of with having small children is you end up watching children's movies. Some are better than others. I can't remember the exact movie, but there was a movie I was watching with my kids. It's probably a year and a half ago. It could be any number of movies, so if you have a favorite, fill in the blank. Um, and we were watching it, and I hadn't seen it before. We were about 10 minutes in, and I thought to myself, I bet I know where this movie's going. You know, the plot is so obvious. You know, they set it up in the first 10 minutes. You're like, oh, the hero's going to do this, and then, and then there's going to be this problem, because this other guy's clearly a bad guy, and they've already shown him. Uh, and, and then this is all going to go through, and it's just, it's just obvious. It, it, there's, just, there's no plot twist. There's nothing going on. And um, The reason I bring this up, and, and kind of a strange way, I feel like a lot of sermon series at church kind of go this way. <laughs> Not to speak of myself, but to, just in churches in general. Like you kind of you go through the series, and you're like, I bet I know where this is going. We're going to talk about Jesus. <laughs> and and then it kind of builds and it builds and it builds and all of a sudden you're like ooh big surprise it's Jesus and you're like yes I saw that coming and we, I could have predicted that in the first ten minutes of week one that, that's where this sermon series was going uh and, and interestingly enough this sermon series that we've been in and if this is your first time here you won't be lost so it'll be fine but we're we're like seven weeks into the sermon series and Jesus was the last two weeks. There's another sermon, very mysterious, better than a children's movie. It's going somewhere, it's going past us, there's one last twist, there's one last piece to this puzzle, and and we'll see if you recognize it in the beginning, I did drop some hints that this is where it was going, but uh, as we get into this, why why don't we just do a quick recap here. So this has been a sermon series where we've been looking at the role of the priesthood uh, in the Bible. So not so much priests uh, as how we use the term in our society today or around the world, modern times, uh, but actually looking back into the Bible. What, what is a priest? What is this role? How does this play in? And then of course we got to Jesus and we see in his own life um, how Jesus was kind of our ultimate royal priest. So this all started uh, back in the very beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, we saw Adam and Eve, and they were in the garden. Uh, and in the garden, there's a lot of priest language. Uh, it's, it's really interesting. It's, it's kind of new to a lot of us. We don't think about it that way. But, but they're called to be these priests in Eden, these people. Uh, this is our quick definition. These people who stand in the gap between a holy God and a hurting world. And there's certain people in the Bible that are elevated... Uh, largely not due to their own merit, but they're elevated into this role of being priests. They're the ones who stand in the gap. And they take the, the sacrifices of the people, and they turn around and they give that to God. And then they take the blessings of God, and often they turn around and give those to the people. But there's this special role, and this role is called being a priest. And again, it starts in the very... Beginning of Scripture, we see Adam and Eve kind of called into this role, actually with all of creation, that they are going to be the ones that stand in the gap between God and a hurting world. Uh, and they tragically fall short. By the time we're three chapters into the Bible, it's it's already all fallen apart. Uh, they actually follow one of the, the creatures that they are supposed to be a priest Two, part, part of creation, the serpent. They, they, they listen to him and they, they are led astray and, and this vocation as priest is broken and they're removed from the garden and they're outside of it. But there's this beautiful sliver of hope that they are given. Uh, as they're kind of told what their life will be like now, they are told that one of their descendants will come and this descendant will crush the head of the snake. And this descendant will will both be a snake crusher, but will also be struck by the snake himself. He will, he will destroy the snake, but he will also be a sacrifice at the same time. And then we continue to read through the Old Testament, and we come across many people that we think might just be this snake crusher. And, and this is not just in our heads. This is right in, right in the Scripture. It's pointing us towards this. We, we come across Abraham, and we think maybe it's Abraham. Maybe Abraham is the one. He did He did follow God. He did seek after God in and, and long odds. And then there's this time with his, with his son Isaac that he was told to sacrifice him. This, this, uh, not, just, not just his beloved child, but this future of his. He was supposed to give it all to God. And uh, in a beautiful moment, God provides another sacrifice. But Abraham is willing to follow God at such a great cost. So could he be the one? And then he is not the one. Later we come to Moses. There's a lot of hints. Could Moses be the one? Could he be this snake crusher? And he falls short also. And King David, could he be the one? He actually does crush one of the snakes. I don't know if you realize this. If you you don't, maybe listen back a couple sermons ago. I find it fascinating. But Goliath was dressed up like a snake. It's interesting. We don't think about it that way. Snakes are called, they're, they're told to be bronze. In the Bible, that's the color they wear. Of course, what's Goliath wearing? He's wearing bronze, scaly armor. And what gets crushed? His head. Right? So there's there's all these hints. There's all these things pointing forward. and And it's this beautiful image, but they all fall short. And they continue to point into the New Testament. And then we see Jesus. And we learn that Jesus is this true royal high priest that we have been waiting for. He is the one that crushes the snake, but he is also struck by it. He's not only the priest, he is the sacrifice at the same time. He's the true spotless lamb. But even after the resurrection, the story isn't over. There's still one more twist. You see, about one month after the resurrection, something very interesting happens. We're in the book of Acts here, in the very beginning of the book of Acts. Something very interesting happens. Jesus' disciples are with him, and Jesus ascends into the sky, and he disappears into the clouds. And the book's not over yet. (laughs) There's still more pages to go (laughs) at that point. He, He ascends, he leaves them, he actually is exalted, he enters the heavenly, holy temple, the ultimate temple, the one that all the earthly temples were modeled after, where God is sitting on his throne, and he is installed as the true cosmic royal high priest at the right hand of the Father. And it's beautiful. But if you're Jesus' disciples, you're kind of going, what now? (laughs) What now? Now he just left. First, we thought he left when he died, and then he came back, and that was wonderful. He's been here about a month, he keeps showing up, and now he's just gone again. And, and you think back, and, and the only thing you can lean on is that that he told you that this was going to happen. And he told you that he wasn't going to leave you alone. That he was going to send the Holy Spirit to be with you, and that you were supposed to wait, and supposed to receive the Holy Spirit. So so they come to this Uh, festival in Jerusalem, this festival called Pentecost, and we're in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, and I'll just read the whole thing for you here. Again, Acts chapter 2, 1 through 6. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all there in one place. Suddenly a sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard their own language being spoken. This passage alone is so deep in a really Old Testament metaphor. Some of this very stuff we've been talking about in this series, it's, it's all right here. So when God meets Moses on the mountain, there's a violent wind. There's, there's a wind and a storm, and Moses goes up. It's like he's going up into heaven almost, because, of course, to them and their worldview, heaven is up, and, uh, and the afterlife is, is down, and, and they go up into the clouds, so you live in Arnold, sometimes you live in the clouds, I guess. <laughs> but in their, in their mind, he's going up into the clouds. He's going up on such a high mountain that God is up there. And, and God meets him there, but, he, but it's this wind. This is how God works in the world. So it would not be surprising at all that all of a sudden the wind, a violent wind from heaven, filled the whole house. We can see images of how God's people have met with God before And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire separate and rest on each one of them. And of course they begin to speak in many different languages proclaiming who God is and who Jesus is. The full image here is that they have become the place where God is going to dwell. The Holy Spirit is going to live in each one of them. They are actually... It's like they're each mini-temples of God. There was the temple... In Jerusalem and that was where God lived and there was the Holy of Holies the most inner place and, and God's spirit was said to dwell with his people in a special way in that location and here God's spirit is doing something new, God's spirit is resting on each one of them going in each one of them taking up residence inside Jesus' followers this is really amazing it's kind of out of nowhere if you don't look back to some of the Old Testament. See, we see some of this happen. Jesus has his own baptism. The Holy Spirit comes down and rests on him, and then God speaks. So, so we see hints of this, but this is a, it's a little bit of a curveball here. Now, now it's not the temple where God is. Now it's right inside of God's people. God is going to dwell in them and do something really new, really exciting. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. Do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? See, I'm not just making this up. I'm not just like tying all this stuff in the Old Testament together. This, this is right here in the New Testament. Paul says, don't you know that you are the temple? Don't you know that God's Spirit is dwelling in you? The Apostle Peter, who was there that day, he was there that day at Pentecost, says in 1 Peter chapter 2, 4-5, through 5, which was read for you earlier, it says this, As you come to him, the living stone, meaning Jesus, The living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to Him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Now let me pause there for a second. Again, all these temple metaphors. The living stone. You're not not just a building anymore. Now the temple is this this series of living stones, all these people built together and and tied together into a new spiritual house. And this this doesn't mean some kind of spiritual house that's like a non-material house. That's not where it's going. It's saying it's a house that is filled by the Spirit. It is a spiritual house because, because the Spirit is there, dwelling inside. And then it goes on to be a holy priesthood. So you're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then in verse 9, he continues. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood a holy nation God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. First Peter is written to a series of house churches in in what they call Asia Minor modern day Turkey. There's house churches around and they're under very harsh persecution. Very harsh from around them, and and Peter is in Rome, and he's writing to these churches, and and he's giving them a word of hope. These are a diverse people. These are people from all all different people groups in the area. These are not uh, you know all Jewish people or all uh, certain Gentile groups. They're they're from all over. He's using really intentional language here when he calls them a holy nation. This diverse group, this group that is made up from people all over, they have nothing in common, nothing other than Jesus. But they are a holy nation, God's special possession, a royal priesthood. This is an incredibly high calling. (laughs) Remember the the role of priests, right? Now now they are all supposed to be that. They are all supposed to be the ones that stand in the gap. They are all supposed to be the ones that are are between a a holy God and a hurting world. Somehow helping to mediate between the two. Together, collectively. If you had the, um, how do I say it? So, English is lacking a little bit here. Because we don't often use the all y'all kind of language. right? The plural you. The plural you, we're missing it. So so here is my Texas translation. Because this is what this text is saying. This is what it's saying in Greek. It's saying, but all y'all are a chosen people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, that you may declare your praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. You collectively, you series of house churches scattered across Asia Minor, scattered across the whole world, you series of people, you, you have some identity in who you are, but, but all it is is that Christ ties you together, and collectively, you are a royal priesthood. Now we get a little mixed up in our own culture because we're so individualistic that it becomes very easy to be like, okay, what does it mean that I am, you know, this. Well, that is partially true. It's not like it's not. But it's a little more of a we question. What does it mean that we are? If we follow Jesus, if we follow after him, seek after him, if he is the Lord of our lives, if he is the Savior of us, then then we are a royal priesthood. We are the ones that are called to stand in the gap. There's this new thing going on amongst this group of people that have so little in common. They're not tied together by their nationality. They're not tied together by their ethnicity or or some kind of spiritual heritage or, or even that they agree on everything. They certainly don't. That is part of what Peter is talking about. They're tied together by something bigger than that. The Bible goes on to call this the body of Christ, that Christ ascends into heaven, and he is there, and he's seated at the right hand of God the Father, and that is true, but but on earth, his body is his people. Again, it doesn't come out of nowhere. This, This actually lines up really well in the Old Testament, because right in the beginning, we're told that Adam and Eve are the image of God. And if Jesus is God, then why does it feel so strange that we are the body of Christ? That that as we are on earth, that we are the body of Christ. So it's not just Jesus who's called to be this royal priest. Now, in my mind anyway, I think, okay, well, this is kind of the first century world. Maybe these people were the body of Christ, <laughs> and maybe we now—maybe we're just something different. Maybe we keep looking back to them, or you know, maybe there's something else going on. And and then I always get checked because I go to Revelation and I see—is it true at the end of time? And and as we get to the book of Revelation, I got to tell you, there's four times where the people of God, the church, where they are called a kingdom of priests—the exact same language. Over and over and over again, Revelation chapter 1, right in the beginning, verses 5 through 6, there's this greeting going on, right at the beginning of the book. And in it, it says this, it says, To him who loves us, meaning Jesus, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom of priests, to serve his God and Father, To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Right in the very beginning of of the book, telling you who it's addressed to. (laughs) Again, it tells you who you are. It tells you your own identity, a kingdom of priests. I don't know. As I look through it all, it is one of those where you get there and it's like, I don't know if I saw this twist coming. Sermon series about me? Thought it was gonna be about Jesus. It feels a little more comfortable when it's about Jesus. Because <laughs> then you can kind of go, okay, well, thank goodness we have Jesus. <laughs> oh wait, there's one more twist? It's it's about us? Oh no. I don't know if I want to stand in the gap between a holy God and a hurting world. I'm I'm really comfortable putting Jesus there. (laughs) I'm really comfortable with that. Jesus, and and he does, he is there. That's also in Scripture. You know, he he mediates between the two. He's at the right hand of the Father, that this is true. But us? I I don't know. Let's continue here. (laughs) <laughs> Let's look further. It, it makes you wonder, you know, what, what is this role? What am I supposed to do then? What's what's my takeaway? What what does it mean to live into this priestly world? Maybe I can understand it in my head, but then I still don't know what to do when I leave this building. So, um, how, how do priests behave? What do they do? How does that translate into my world? I'm not encouraging you to go find some goat somewhere and bring it out in the woods. We don't want to be that church. (laughs) Oh, there's that weird church in the mountains. They take their goats in the woods. (laughs) So what do these priests do? How do they behave? Well, simply alongside Jesus, they they stand in this gap. They they see things going on in the world, and they they try to bring uh, offering and praise to God, and then they try to turn around and they try to bring God's blessing back out to the people. It's both of these. They're they're heavenly minded and they're earthly good. <laughs> you ever heard that phrase? People that are so heavenly minded that they're not earthly good. A great phrase. Use it on your, I don't know, super churchy friends. <laughs> but but they it's both. They're they're heavenly minded, they're praising God, they're lifting his name high, and yet they're able to take God's blessing and hand it off to other people. So they offer sacrifices. We're actually told that right here in First Peter. God break, fixing this broken relationship with God. There is no other sacrifice that needs to be done in this way. There's not there's not a sacrifice in your own life that you then do and you kind of earn your way into heaven so to speak or something like this. This is there's a once and for all sacrifice. It's done by Jesus. It's it's final, it's over, it's accomplished. You can have a right relationship with God. He is fully your savior. You don't save yourself. That's that's just Christianity. But there's other sacrifices in the Old Testament that are not atonement sacrifices. And I think that's more what's being talked about here by Peter. There's other sacrifices. There's sacrifices of praise. Sacrifices of thanksgiving. God does something, and and God's people, in response, want to thank him. They want to praise him. They want to say that God is great. And they offer a sacrifice. That that has nothing to do with making them in a right relationship with God. And that doesn't stop after Jesus. That that we lift up God's name. That we praise Him. That this is a, a form of sacrifice in itself. There's other sacrifices that are done at certain times of the year. And the whole point of the sacrifice is to tell the story of what God has done in their past. So these often happen at festivals. And the whole point of the story is to say, this is what God has done, and it was amazing, and, and we trust that we still worship the same God, and that he will He will treat us this way, as he's treated our ancestors. These sacrifices don't stop either, they just look different. Again, don't go get your goat and be like, this is a Thanksgiving sacrifice. You know, out into the woods, it, it looks different here, so, so what are we being pointed at? It's that God's people are still called to surrender to him. That, that becoming a Christian, that following after him, is not simply a, a get-out-of-jail-free card, and then you go on living the rest of your life like you did. You don't just check it off the list. That, that when you're his follower, that when you follow after him, you, you continue to lift his name high. You continue to praise him. You continue to... to in a way, sacrifice to, to give yourself, to give of your time, to give of your resources. Hebrews thirteen fifteen through 16. Through Jesus Christ, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of lips that openly profess his name and do not forget to do good and to share with others for such sacrifices are pleasing to god i've read this verse so many times and before doing this sermon series it's like it doesn't click they like this is priest language it says sacrifices twice who's the one that does sacrifices It's the priest. It's the priesthood. It's it's these royal priests who are called to do these sacrifices, but the sacrifices look different now. Now they're they're called to offer to God a sacrifice of praise, which is then called the fruit of their lips. A sacrifice of praise. Openly profess His name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others. Just a couple examples. Doing good, sharing with others. It says, such sacrifices, or in such sacrifices, God is pleased. When we do good, when we share with others, when we are unified. That's that's in Romans. When we are unified. You know, if you went to the temple and back in back in their day, you, you showed up. You somehow time traveled, you showed up, there'd be some things you'd probably expect. One of the things is the sacrifices that are going on. I think many of us kind of understand that, that people would be bringing in animals and they'd they'd be offering them to God and there'd be burning going on and and all this stuff. Um, I think that would make sense to us. But there's other things going on in the temple. There's other things that they're told to do in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures. And one of them is that the priests sing. It's a priestly thing. They're told to sing to God, to sing praises to God. They read poetry, they sing, they they sing songs that just kind of tell God who he is, what he has done, how great he is, Uh, and they sing songs that tell stories of examples of God's faithfulness. It's a priestly thing. I feel like it just passes right over us. Right, Because because what do we do? We show up to church and and we sing four songs. And we don't even realize we're being priests. You're already being a priest today. That's a priest thing to do in the Old Testament. I mean, other people can sing. It's not like it's against the rules. But the the priests are told to. They are told that that is their role. that, That not only do they offer sacrifices, but they also lift his name high. They tell God who he is. If you just pay attention to the words, that we sing in those songs, it's every one of those examples. And we didn't plan it out that way. (laughs) That's just what church songs are like. We we tell God how great He is. We we tell God who He is, how how wonderful He is. We give examples of of times in in our own lives, times in the lives of, of people in the Bible, that God has done those things, that God has been faithful in those ways. You've already been a priest today. You've already stood in the gap and, and sung praises to God. It is, it's a holy thing. It's, it's really important. But, but again, it just goes, it kind of goes over our heads. Because to us, it's just, it's just going to church. And it's like, yeah, that's just what you do to go to church. Well, yeah, that's why they started doing that. They were told to sing praises to God. That that, that would be a beautiful thing. That God would delight in that. So while I'm kind of twisting it all and saying you are the royal peace, I'm also letting you know you're also doing some of it already. You just might not be recognizing it. That that you're already, you're already kind of living in this role in so many ways. They're also told to do good and to share with others. That was from verse 16. And that they're told that such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Especially in 1 Peter here, we read that Christians are to be in a community of mutual submission. They mutually, but not, not everyone submitting to one person, but everyone submitting to each other. Leaning on each other, recognizing that, that it's in honoring each other that God is praised. That no one is supposed to think greater of themselves than of the other one. That, that we are supposed to be humble. That we're supposed to come together in unity. That we're supposed to give things up. And that's how we can perfectly love each other. So you say, well, I showed up to church and we did sing, but they weren't the songs I would have picked. Well, even better. Better. Now you're like priest times two, because now you're singing, <laughs> and, and you're, you're doing it in a way of mutual submission for, for the other people around you, who maybe this fits well. And that goes on any, I mean, we have blended worship, which the joke is that blended worship means no one's happy. <laughs> That's the old church joke, right? Because, because you're like, oh, well, I would rather sing all the new songs than somebody else. I'd rather sing all the old songs. And, and there's only a few of us in the middle that are like, I kind of like singing both. <laughs> but maybe not today, maybe today I feel like this, you know, but but in mutual submission. So so singing like this and, and it's a beautiful way that we live this out. It's a beautiful way that that we live out this priestly role, but it's not it's not the only one. You see, priests are in this gap and and it's important that this world that they're mediating, It's a hurting world. And if we look around, we're still in a hurting world. It's changed a lot since this was first written down. But in other ways, it hasn't changed at all. We still look around in a hurting world. And we're still called to extend God's blessing into places of pain, into places of hurt. I'll just give you a few examples so in, in our community, right here, in our right here and now, <laughs> in Arnold, in the greater area, there are people, a number of them, that are struggling financially a lot. Uh, a lot, a lot. I've met, just, just to throw it out there, I've met probably five people who have become homeless in the last six months that live in this area. They rented places before that. The places Normally what happens is the place gets sold. Um, and because the market's great, <laughs> you know, so people are selling places. and But then the renters get displaced, and, and they can't find another place to rent, and maybe their credit's not there. Who knows what their whole story is? But people that are living in cars, people that are this, this level of homeless. There's people that don't have adequate food, that don't have adequate uh, resources around them. So, what is a church to do? What is a royal priesthood to do? Well, I mean, one of the things, one of the things we do do and is wonderful is that Tuesdays from 10 to noon, we have a food closet at the church. I don't think we even realize that's a priest thing to do. (laughs) Right? Like, if you think about it, that's a thing that. That we're taking God's blessing, God has given abundantly, God has, God has given to us, and we're turning around to a hurting world and we're and we're handing it out. That is the role of the priest. That's what we've been talking about for weeks. That's what they do. And, and you do it. This church does it. Many of you participate in it. Many of you help in, in many different ways. But this is, you're doing some of this stuff. There's people that don't have enough heat in their houses. And and we know where we live. Many people burn wood for heat. And we have this wonderful do wooders ministry that has been going on for many years. And they're all priests. And they don't even know it. Some of them don't even know it. (laughs) That's what they're doing when they're out there. They're they're taking abundance. They're they're handing it to people. and, And they're doing it in God's love. And they're showing compassion. This is a wonderful thing. If, if somebody has surgery and, and they they need help and, and somebody else brings them food what is that it's them living into this role It's, the, it's them being this this kind of believer now I, I think the temptation sometimes at least in my mind is is it, are you making it so spiritual that it doesn't kind of make sense but but I think the the opposite is actually what's happening I think we've taken these very spiritual things, these things that, that we've been doing, the things that we just think, oh, that's what it means to go to a church, that what, what it means to be a part of a church. We've kind of taken away any spiritual part and said, oh, practically we just help feed people. Well, that's great, but let's, let's bring back in some of the significance of why. What we're doing, why are we doing that? We're doing that because of who we are, because of who we're called to be and and we're not just thinking that we're called to be that. We read the New Testament and we see that we are supposed to be these people in this world. I don't, I don't think we can over-spiritualize this. I think we've under-spiritualized it so far that, that we don't even recognize it anymore. We don't even see it. You can go to church your whole life and you don't even realize I was singing like a priest. What? <laughs> I didn't even know that was part of the deal. <laughs> but you are. You show up and you feed people and you help people. Sure, do we have places in our own lives when we can we can think, how can I live into this better? How, what does it mean at my school? What does it mean with my group of friends? What does it mean uh, as far as how I am as a, as a neighbor in my community? Yeah, we can absolutely live into this more. We can be more aware of this and try to try to fill in these gaps and think, well, if I am in this role... I didn't even realize I was in this role. I thought maybe Pastor John was, but I didn't realize that I was too. Uh, then no one laughed at that. <laughs> that was supposed to be funny. So I, thought, I thought maybe he was the one that stood on the gap up there. You know, that, that seems all right. He can love people. But, but what about the rest of us? The, the beautiful part in this series, I guess, and what this has all been leading to, and I'll end with this, is that we are the royal priests who are alongside Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And we are called to stand in the gap between a hurting world and a holy God. Part of our role is that we point people to the only one in which salvation can be found. We point people to the only one And and we bring God's blessing, God's abundance, from him out into the world. You are not called to be a bystander when it comes to your faith. You're not called to step aside and let the professional Christians do their professional Christian thing. We we gather as priests. We worship together. We, We serve together. We walk with people. We love people. We serve other people. And we do it because of who we are. Because of who we're called to be. And we're told beautifully in Scripture that these are holy sacrifices pleasing to God.